0: Countrywide on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by the Irish Farmers' Journal, bringing 379,000 readers the latest farming news and the best of rural Ireland weekly.
1: Now, then, folks, back to the real world with a little bit of a bump as we look to the year ahead. There is not much reason to assume that living is going to start costing less anytime soon and anyone making a living from food production is going to know we are in an era of disruption where the only certainty is uncertainty. And for quite a few, last year was grim.
2: Financially brutal. It's been an endurance test like no other.
1: On the other hand, 2022 was not just a bumper year for dairy and tillage farmers, it was extraordinarily good. But food production faces towards foreign shores and demand abroad for Irish produce could well wobble in the next 12 months. The UK looks, well, looks like it's in a recession already. The European Eurozone may well tip into one. The response at a national level to events on a planetary scale will ask more searching questions of farming than it has probably ever had to answer.
3: Look, nobody wants to leave the planet worse for the next generation either. It's going to be a hell of a battle.
1: And there are questions as fundamental to be answered as can some of that land even be farmed in the future? It's a big worry. It's very hard to say that's going to be closed up and uh, go wild again. And when the experts do the maths, they say it adds up to farming being significantly scaled back in some sectors.
0: So even in the best case scenario, we still don't get to the 25% and there's still a gap.
1: But working with the same numbers, that's not what the government believes is the message that it has to communicate.
3: We're offering new options in the decade ahead, which will improve farm incomes and help us reach that 25% target.
1: Herd reductions are going to have to be a part of the picture here, and you continue to deny that.
3: You obviously haven't been listening to me, Philip. I've been outlining how we're going to give new additional options to farmers in terms of how they use their land.
1: So time then for a little bit of crystal ball gazing. The day after Epiphany, I am joined by not three, but four wise people. Scientists, ecologists, farmers, and we even allowed a journalist to slip in by accident. Let me begin introducing them to you one by one. Thomas Duffy, a former head of the Young Farmers representative group MACRA, more recently elevated to its European incarnation, the CEJA. He also occupies himself with more earthly matters on a dairy farm. Happy New Year to you, Thomas. How big a disconnect is there as we start this year in your head. You know that there are disruptions to farming ahead, but right now things are pretty good. Happy New Year, Philip.
3: Yeah, and I suppose it's 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 not a single case, as we mentioned, for both the uh, pig and poultry sector. I mean, they're, they've been struggling this year. Beef has been uh, a bit more mixed and dairy has been quite good and so have tillage um, although the maybe the predictions for tillage are a bit more concerning and we could see a very because we are seeing milk prices that we have never seen before now they're also on the, the counter end of that uh, fertiliser prices and meal prices are higher than they've ever been before so cost of production But, but how do you split your
1: head in two? How do you on the one hand say there's disruption ahead but do you know what? I've got to make hay while the sun shines as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, ultimately, uh, farming in any form is a very variable business. You have to make as much profit as you can in a single year because it's, it, there's no question about it. It's going to drop again uh, sooner or later. And there are major challenges coming down the line. I mean, the, probably the single largest for the dairy sector is going to be nitrates, and that's going to have a huge push on. And we're going to get into and,
1: that in a moment. Pat O'Toole is another man who must be suffering a fairly strong sense of contradictory noises in his head. Involved on in the one hand in a flourishing family tillage enterprise in Wexford he is also an Irish farmers journal journalist aware of the headwinds that farming is facing into though I would imagine in your case right now your Ferns club side St Aidan's winning the senior hurling title is probably the only thing at the front of your mind
2: um, well, I suppose uh, as much as I'd like to abandon all else in pursuit of just talking about ferns, uh, I, I have to keep the day job, and both day jobs. And uh, yeah. Do you have a, that sense of, of
1: being like Chief Brody in Jaws running up and down the beach saying, get out of the water, get out of the water, folks?
2: Well, we don't have to be because this week's Farmers Journal, our survey, which uh, polled almost 2,000 farmers in December, uh, showed that farmers are concerned for the year ahead about their incomes, about profitability, about margins, but they're still optimistic on balance for the future of their, their businesses. And I think that that strikes the balance between being realistic about the fact that there is a challenge. And the challenge is that typically when we have a surge in input prices, um, and a surge in commodity prices, the surge in input prices lasts longer. So we can expect commodity prices to fall back at some stage in the medium term, uh, while input prices will outlast. Uh, the the input price peak will outlast it. And farmers are bracing themselves for that because it has always happened in the past. Um, And I think that that shows, you know, that the sober attitude that farmers displayed in in the poll shows that farmers are realistic, that they can be optimistic, but they must be cautious.
1: Dr. Cara Augustenberg is an assistant professor of environmental policy in UCD and a member of the government's Climate Advisory Council. She first came to Ireland over 20 years ago to work on the impact of slurry spreading, and she's still fairly up to her oxters in it now. Uh, Cara, do you have a sense that we're moving in the right direction, but just not quick enough?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say in the 20 years that I've been here working on this issue, I've never seen more engagement in climate policy from the agricultural sector than I have in the last couple of years. I mean, we have emission ceilings for the sector. We now have a, a climate action plan that, that sets out at least eight key measures that are going to move toward this idea of diversifying the sector. So mm. But I'm is it favor- hard to
1: inject any urgency into it when I, there's still so much money to be made?
0: Yeah, it's right direction, but the pace obviously isn't there yet. I mean, we're halfway through the first carbon budget uh, and, and, and we've already nearly blown half of that budget in the agricultural sector alone. So so achieving those legally binding targets is getting harder and harder the longer we delay and, and that is a big concern for the Climate Council. Dr.
1: James Moran is a senior lecturer in ecology and biology at the Atlantic Technological University. From a dairy background himself, one of his areas of expertise is a really detailed understanding of the regulatory changes that are going to result in The most profound change in how we use land since the Green Revolution 60 years ago, and that is all coming down the tracks very, very soon. Lulu CF, the second part of how agriculture is going to have to respond to the climate crisis. James, this starts in earnest now. Can you tell us why does it have to happen and what is the country going to look like as a result as I drive from one side to the other in 20, 30 years' time?
4: So, good morning, Philip. To, to meet our international commitments, uh, there's going to be continued demand on our land base to contribute to enhanced climate action and nature restoration, while maintaining viable uh, food and fibre production in the next few years. And this will require large-scale changes to our land base uh, land use system over the next 25 years. I was involved in uh, some work in the in the last year for the land use evidence review with some climate uh, change and climate scientist colleagues as well. And there's some stark figures coming out of that uh, land use. Uh, Uh, review, we're committed to basically being uh, um, reaching net zero in the agriculture, forestry and other land use sector by 2050 and Essentially, to in all the scenario modelling that we, we ran for for that, and given the data that we have uh, at the moment, this will reduce. In we will have to do the following measures: we'll have to have increased livestock production efficiency to give us a thirty percent emissions reduction. We'll have to reduce livestock numbers to give us another thirty uh, percent reduction. We'll have to have ambitious organic rewetting and raising water tables. Up to ninety percent of the drained organic soils will have to be have a raised water table, and we'll have a, have to have an additional forest area of about five hundred thousand hectares
1: by by twenty fifty. That's about does, twenty thousand hectares mean a year. Land underwater across the Shannon Basin as I drive across the Midlands. Does that mean abandoned farms? What will the place look like? Uh, not necessarily. This is about raising the water table to protect the the
4: existing carbon stocks that were that are there. Not extensive, large scale flooding. Now, at times of the year, no more than what we see at the moment, there will be uh, land in floodplains that will be underwater water but uh, say at the moment Ireland is a diverse mix of landscapes so you've characterized by difference in geology topography soils climate variation and I think the land cover in 2050 would be more reflective of the diversity of the underlying geology and the underlying soils and climatic variation across the across the country so say I think if you were uh, In 2050, people in 2050 will have seen a gradual change over the 20 or 30 years, so it won't be looking quite stark to them. But if someone from January 2023 was parachuted into uh, basically January 2050 and you started driving across the country, you would see uh, basically... Uh, in the east of the country you would see more cropland interspersed among our pasture land. The pasture land will have large amounts of hedgerows, uh, tree lines and pockets of, of mixed woodland. You'll have a similar picture in Tipperary, Cork and Limerick and, po- and the pockets of more deeper fertile soil of the country. You'll have more of a dominance of livestock production as you move uh, west still. You'll have less cropland but again you will see more trees and pockets of wetlands that is a prominent feature. Then as you drive through the midlands in January in 2050 and areas around the Shannon at this time year, you will see extensive floodplains interspersed with wind turbine solar farms at the sites of the industrial peat cuttings in the, in the past but there still will be pockets of pasture land interspersed with pockets of woodland and young forestry. In the western lowlands you'll also see a greater mix of young forest and agroforestry interspersed among the, the pasture lands with peatlands and wetlands but at higher elevations in the foothills you'll see more uh, diverse range of vegetation cover, semi-natural woodlands and sheltered areas, pockets of relatively intensive farmland with generally much more heathland uh, and tree cover. But overall, livestock will still be a significant feature across the landscape, but you will see much more of a,
1: of a wooded field, you know, to the, to the landscape as you drive across. Thomas Tuffy, in 60 seconds, I have heard more specifics there from James Moran than I have heard from anybody in a leadership position in the course of the last, I don't know how many years. Are the political communications around this being mishandled? Do we need precisely those specifics to demystify what's going to happen?
2: Yeah,
3: we do. Um, um, but there there are challenges around, number one, the economics of what James lies out. I mean, it, it, it seems quite ideal, but I mean, who's going to fund this? How is it going to be funded? I mean, we see even this year, uh, you know, we're already talking about um, a major land purchase by foreign investors, and that's mostly li- likely to be converted into Sitka spruce for commercial reasons. So, how is that? This going is Quilchess selling to Gresham this Holdings. Is, this one hundred twenty thousand acres. Yes, exactly. So, how is that going to balance with the the long term vision to twenty fifty? Because I mean, forestry is a long term investment. It, you know, those trees, if they're planted, will only be probably be harvesting in twenty fifty. Uh, so, this is going to be the challenge. How
1: do we fund that? And how do we have a when we say how do farmers? we fund that? I mean, th- there's two contradictory kind of ideas here. One is that we do this idea that we see with Gresham Holdings of selling off these assets to be used by international polluters to offset their carbon emissions. And the other would be that everything that takes place on a farm carries a carbon price, which is a cost that gets passed on to consumers. Which do you favour?
3: Yeah, and I suppose this is this is a challenge. I, I lay this out. There's a major concern around uh, the carbon farming model that's currently being proposed in the EU. And now look, we're, we're talking about 2030 here, More likely who's going to fund that because there's only two ways to fund a so-called carbon farming either every farmer uh, has to pay a certain amount in order to offset their emissions with other farmers then uh, taking that money to invest in it for rewetting, for hedgerow plantation or for uh, potentially livestock reduction or for uh, crop changing, for instance. Um, uh, so either that or we go down the line of simply in- a- increasing uh, somewhere along the line all products uh, as carrying a carbon cost. And the, the question is, there's a lot of debate around this, Both models could potentially work, potentially an integrated model could work, but what we don't want to see is sort of greenwashing we're already seeing. You see this with like uh, airports claiming that they're carbon neutral, which is just ridiculous and it's really frustrating. Um, And at the moment really all that we see around tree planting and so-called offsetting is just marketing because in the EU there is no trade between fossil fuels and agriculture and land use.
1: Pat O'Toole, are the political communications on this being done properly or is the government are farm organisations at risk of losing the dressing room?
2: Uh, I think there's a game of almost of chicken uh, between the farm organisations and government around grasping the nettle in relation to the issue of the national herd. Like, we've seen um, blatant denial from the government at all stages up till now that there was would be any requirement for a reduction in the national herd. Um, dairy expansion has continued... Uh, up till very recently. Now it's transitioned to where the government are talking realistically about options, but they're talking about ways of pulling farmers into other enterprises through incentivisation rather than pushing them out of suckler mm-hmm. or beef or, or, or dairy production and through an incentivized And are and
1: farmers looking for plain talking on how much am I going to be compensated to reduce my herd rather than let's talk about anaerobic digesters and solar panels?
2: They want plain talking but maybe not. they're not ready to handle the truth. Um, you know, we're in that kind of a few good men territory and what we need now is for the uh, the two forums which, uh, for, uh, which, which uh, reached an impasse at the end of last year where a, a series of proposals were put to them Um, the stakeholder groups both for dairy and beef around how to tackle emissions in the sectors and they were all rejected really Um, uh, so the the Minister has said that he's going to go back now Charlie McConlogue is going to go back to those uh, stakeholder forums to have a conversation around whether they want an incentivised cessation scheme for sucker farmers and dairy farmers and I think that that's going to be the big ticket issue in the first half of this year because Farmers are waiting for certainty around that. There are a lot of older farmers with no successor who are hanging on. And it's actually now a break on some people leaving production uh, because they're waiting in the expectation, which has been created out there by everybody, that there will be some form of paid incentivisation to stop having cows on their farm.
1: 25% Cara Augustenberg, is going to be really tough. But then you look at the 5 million tonnes of what the government calls unallocated savings that has been swept under the carpet. That has to be embraced. We haven't yet embraced the land use, land use change implications that James Moran is talking about. They're going to be coming back to farmers again and again and again over the next few years, yeah. aren't they?
0: Yeah, but I like the way James responded to your question there by painting this vision of what Ireland could look like in 2050 if we actually tackle these kind of uh, yeah, I know, but targets. take Thomas's
1: point on board as well. Getting there is going to be pretty rough too.
0: Yeah, but we know, I mean, we've all made New Year's resolutions to, to change habits this year and, and we know how hard it is to change I habits. I have <laughs> Yeah, some people have But transition is really hard. We know that. But, but if we're successful in changing those habits, we look... Look back at the end of the year and say, oh, you know, I can't imagine life having not changed those habits and all the benefits that happen. And I think we have real risks coming down the pipeline with regard to changing climate and other unknown risks that could crop up and, and technology innovations. And, and we need to mitigate against those risks okay. by diversifying our system.
1: Uh, same question to all four of you. Start with you, James Moran, first, please. What is the top myth that needs to be busted in 2023 that you hear in the dialogue? I suppose the big
4: one is that rural Ireland is uniform, it's as a diverse a society as in urban areas in terms of opinions and approaches to environmental issues in particular and the polarisation you see on social media is not what we we see in day to day interactions and a lot of common ground and ability to find solutions is out there particularly when we dial down the noise.
3: Thomas Tuffy? Uh, yeah, uh, the challenge is nearly picking one because there's so many on both sides of it. Um, for me, probably one of the biggest challenges is this, this narrative around an explosion in cow numbers. And we have to be very clear in, in what we're saying. We have as many dairy cows now roughly as we had in 1985. Uh, the actual differences in uh, suckler cow numbers is slightly higher. So we have total more stock uh, on that basis. But that the flip side of that, Philip, is that the cows that we do have eat more, they produce slightly more nitrogen than the smaller cows we would have had in nineteen eighty-five. So we have a challenger in getting our total methane down. Uh, so we do have this but the idea that the entire countryside is overstocked is, is just not accurate.
1: Carol Gustenberg.
0: Well I think there's still a misconception that our, our land is a, a carbon sink, that it's helping protect us from climate change when in fact what we found is that our land right now because of the way we manage it mm-hmm. is a very significant source. So
1: when carbon. people say they want credit for their hedgerows they should also be debited for what they're Soils are
2: That's emitting. It. Absolutely. Yeah. Pat two. I think uh, the idea that the sector are climate laggards. Um, anyone who was in Johnstown Castle uh, last August for the Farming for a Better Future, um, and I would recommend anyone who wasn't there should download the booklet, which is freely available online. There's 156 pages of actions and, uh, and, and science-based evidential data on what is happening on farms and what can happen on farms and there was a huge turnout and a real can-do attitude uh, in, in, at sort of ground level but also it's bite size. It's not any, there's no one magic bullet here. It was a hundred different stands showing practices that farmers can adopt, which will improve the picture.
1: And if you were looking for an indication of what farmer sentiment is, the oversubscription to the Acres environmental scheme gives you an idea of how many people actually want to put their shoulder to the wheel. But it also, unfortunately, doesn't, it shows you how the government is under-resourcing
2: this. Um, I I think that uh, the expectation is, and clearly there was messaging from uh, both the Taoiseach and the former Taoiseach and Eamon Ryan and uh, and, and from Minnesota That more money Condologue, would be found That more money would be found and that farmers w- the government would not be found wanting uh, and farmers would not be excluded from the scheme uh, that needs to happen. The 46,000 farmers uh, will be augmented. I would imagine there's another 20,000 farmers who'd like to join them and this scheme is currently predicted to be capped at 50,000 or envisaged to be capped at 50,000. So there's an issue there. But but I think broadly we should we can be optimistic that farmers are ready to buy into, okay.
1: yeah. Look, finally, briefly, all four of you once again, the, the Donald Rumsfeld unknown unknown question This day last year, we hadn't a clue what was going to happen on the 24th of February. What do we think is the Ukraine war of 2023? What most gets you anxious and twitchy, James Moran?
4: I suppose uh, the variability in the, the weather conditions and potential for another drought in late spring and or, or summer in the n- in the next number of years, uh, and particularly next year, if we get that on top of the input prices that we're seeing at the, at the moment, you know, it will put a lot of farmers to the pin of their collar that are struggling at the moment with the economic outlook in terms of the Ukraine crisis. Okay. So a drought on top of that would be very
1: problematic, to say the least. Uh, it would certainly change an awful lot of public attitudes though as well, wouldn't it? Thomas Duffy. Uh, well, I'm going to say similar to James, but on maybe a wider spectrum because I work at European
3: level. We were incredibly lucky this year, Philip, in that the impact on green yields in the, the southern half was broadly balanced by the northern half but the reality is uh, a lot of farmers at European level were burnt badly because uh, we saw irrigation on grasslands in the Netherlands which we've never seen before. We saw irrigation in countries like Finland even they were warmer than average. We see five of the European countries had the hottest year on record. Uh, like France, which produces quite a lot of things like wheat, which we depend on particularly because uh, not as mm-hmm. much wheat is going to be planted in Ukraine this year. So, if we see a, a major drought across the whole of Europe this year, or even anywhere near it like It will this,
1: impact so, on the yeah. basket a good price here, absolutely. Cara Gustenberg?
0: I would share Thomas's concerns deeply, but as someone who trained as a biochemist, personally I'm following what's happening with the, the lab-grown or the animal-free milk. We have Nestle and Danone investing in it. We have it being trialled in okay. Starbucks in this the US.
1: fermented Milk and lab meeting. And yeah, and the we need there, rock
0: solid sustainability credentials here in Ireland if we're going to compete in a market with that kind of technological disruption.
1: Potato?
2: Uh, I hate to use the word only, but we are only uh, eight to nine months into the Ukrainian conflict and its effect on global food supply um, is going to continue. Yeah, and if fast. we want buy in, I mean, food security is at the heart and food stability is at the heart of economic okay. and political stability which is at the heart of addressing the climate crisis.
1: Patatul, Kara Cara Gustenberg, Thomas Duffy and James Moran thank you all four of you very very much.